Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. Today's guest is Dave Kovar, also known throughout the martial arts world as the undisputed teacher of teachers. In this episode, Dave shares his black belt mindset, leadership experience, and practical business wisdom. Hi, David. How are you today? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. How about yourself? Great, great. Thank you so much for taking your time and talking to me on the Coaching Call podcast. It's my pleasure, man. Happy to be here. We've known each other for some time. Yeah, man. It's been years. What can I say? You're just an amazing human being. Well, thank you for thinking so. It's really. It's the truth. Tell my wife that. It's the truth. (laughs) Really, you're the teacher of teachers in the martial arts world. How on earth did that come around? I have not a friggin' clue. Every time I hear that, by the way, I didn't give myself that name, just so you know, a title, right? You know, I've just been doing this a long time, and I love what I do. And I think one of the benefits that, that, that I had early on was my older brother, Tim, was my business partner for 20 years, and he was so strong in, in like, you know, the program director side, the business operations side, that it really allowed me to really just focus on teaching and developing instructors. I had more time to kind of come up with systems, so to speak. Uh, you know, and early on, like in the 90s, we had a, a, a video series called Dynamic Drills and Skills, and I did a series on how to teach martial arts to kids. And so I just started spending more time thinking about it, uh, you know, how to develop your teaching skills, where a lot of guys were just teaching, right? And I had time to kind of think through it and, and, uh, and just kind of evolve from there. I mean, what you have done for the martial arts industry is amazing. I mean, you, you hold instructor colleges, you do old seminars, you do public speaking. You are literally a true warrior. And your knowledge and expertise has reached so many people. I think what everyone sees you as is the guy who basically has all the answers. And as me participating in some of your instructor colleges and just you using me as a throw dummy, which was a lot of fun, by the way. <laughs> oh, right. Good deal. I enjoyed it too. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> so everybody sees you uh, as a guy who know who has all the answers. How does that how does that make you feel, first of all? Well, I certainly have not all the answers, so, uh, 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 you know, at all. I mean, I'm still learning all the time. I think it, it's been, you know, I've been in business for 42 years, and so I, I've been able to make a lot of mistakes and hopefully pay attention when I was making those mistakes. So I, I, I was able to not repeat them two or three or four times, maybe sometimes only, you know, once or twice, right? And, and so that's, I think, you know, wisdom comes from experience remembered, you know, and we, that's something I've had a lot of experience uh, and remembered a, maybe a, a certain amount. And, and so uh, I think a lot of times people also, 
early on, there was nowhere to go to to develop. Like there wasn't coaches. I look back on the in the eighties when I was, uh, you know, trying to figure it out. There was nowhere to go. Nobody had the answers, at least not that I knew of. Mm-hmm. And so you had to get creative. And so it kind of taught you to kind of try to kind of figure out solutions yourself. And that that's uh, something that that I kind of always I, I've over time programmed myself to to position any challenge I have in the form of a question that assumes there's an answer. Instead of why is this happening or it's like how can I benefit from this or what's good about this situation and and when you ask yourself that oftentimes you come up with answers and I think a lot of people everybody has the ability to do this and everybody does it but some people more than others a lot of people just they, they don't ask themselves the question they, they assume that the answer is not within them when often that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. As you've traveled the world and, and you know I've seen you in so many different places you you still are training you still are motivated to keep yourself very active, very in shape. And there are a lot of young people who can't even keep up with you. Why are you doing that? <laughs> you know, I, I, I should, people, I, I, people, I shouldn't say this, but I take great pride in firing out young guys. I really do. I shouldn't. But, you know, I, I love martial arts. I, I, I love what it does for people. I, and, and so I, I've just, I, by the way, I, I'd like to think I'm a super disciplined person, but you know, only in certain areas. There's a lot of areas where, if you look about, saw how I cluttered my offices. I lack discipline there. I, I lack. I don't have follow up in certain areas. But when it comes to my fitness and my diet and my martial arts training, I'm pretty disciplined. I I still enjoy it. I, you know, I've been doing it a long time. And it's still my hobby. I kind of look at that, mm. uh, you know, as part of my job is staying in shape and staying, you know, up on my curriculum and continuing to learn. And so I, I think that that's been for me, I, I think one of the keys to uh, still having enthusiasm for, for martial arts or for the business is, is still loving martial arts. And, and, and that's just a matter of, it doesn't mean I always just look forward to going out and training. Sometimes I don't want to, but when I'm done, I'm always glad I did. You know, this morning, you know, I, I know you're on the East Coast, mm-hmm. a lot colder where you're at than me, but it was 37 degrees and I was outside at 6.30 this morning doing my workout and, and it, it was like, oh, I don't really want to go out there and do that because my gym is closed. So it's only outside. Right. And uh, but then when I get done, it's like on my on my mm-hmm. drive home, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I took the time to anchor it in and remind myself, are you glad you did? Yes, I feel so good that I did it. And that. That kind of will help me get up to do it again tomorrow morning. That that memory of how good it feels to complete it, if that makes any sense. So I just my workouts aren't long; they're not hard uh, necessarily, but I'm really consistent. I almost never miss, and uh, and and they're and they're different than they were when I was 30. It, it works for me. And and you're very consistent because every time when we traveled, and I would bump into you at at the location, and we jump into the gym as soon as it opened. We'd both look at each other and go, "Hey, I see you again." We would be both working out. Yeah, you, you have the same viewpoint. I know you. You 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 love it too. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why we hit it off. I think absolutely. What difference have you noticed in working with martial arts owners compared to a typical corporate uh, world? What what have you noticed different? Yeah, you know it's interesting that you say that. I, I think uh, one of the big differences is inherent in martial arts is this kind of this will for self-improvement it's kind of it's 
kind of embedded in martial arts training, right? You know, like people that do martial arts are oftentimes they're goal oriented. They're going from white to black belt and they're trying to become better at something. And, and, uh, and so they tend to be, martial arts tend to be more open to personal development in other areas. I know that there are plenty of people that are not martial artists that are, that, that are striving to be better, but there seems like there's a lot that aren't. And what I mean by that is I'm sure you know somebody that you went to high school with. They're a good person. They hold their job down. They're a good family person, but they really, haven't made a conscious effort to improve since they you know, graduated from college, if that makes any sense, right? It seems like, especially mm-hmm, guys mm-hmm. like you and I that hold our own destiny in our hand because we own, run our own business, you know, it, it, it means you got to get up and you have that drive in the morning. And that's probably one of the things that also martial arts professionals seem to have is a, a level of confidence, you know, that just comes from several things, overcoming goals, but also just the ability to, to have to stand tall and defend themselves if you ever have to. You know, that gives you a, there's an X factor there that people that haven't trained don't have. Dave, but you know, you're not just talking about martial artists because when you encounter someone who's asking for your advice or your help, you're looking at them as a person, you're looking at them maybe as a martial artist, but they may be coming to you for business advice and you definitely deliver on that. What prepared you, besides you said you make a lot of mistakes and you learn from them, but what what prepared you to be able to help so many people, and you actually work with a lot of corporations as well, not just martial artists, to help these people? My unique selling proposition is less to do with the tactical business procedures, and it's more on the mindset. You know, I call it the mastery mindset, and that's kind of like it's stem from samurai wisdom. You know, it's kind of things I've gleaned through martial arts training about how to view the situation. Let me explain. Like for an example, and this this affects people of you know any walks of life, right? You don't have to be in martial arts for this. One of the uh, there's a series of mindsets that are ingrained into our program, and something that I, I talk about whenever I'm coaching people, and and that's and, and we all have a series of mindsets or beliefs about how the world works and how we work in it, right? And some of them are powerful and serve us well, and others not so much. Let me give you an example. When my when my mom was in first grade, she was uh, told by her teacher, stand in the back of the choir and don't sing too loud because you don't have a very good voice. Okay? So now my mom's still alive. Mm. She's 93 years old. And oh, God bless her. Up until about two or three years ago, I never heard her sing, like ever, uh, up until dementia took away most mm. of her memory and all of her inhibitions. Now she sings all the time. But here's what's interesting. She's actually got a pretty good voice, but she missed out on like 87 years of singing mm-hmm. because something someone told her one time when she was six or seven years old. And so why I share that story for these people is because everybody has the way mindsets, the way they view the world. And, and, and if you have adopted some mindset based on something you were told or something that you heard when you were younger that isn't powerful, uh, isn't right, it can really work against you. So, for example, here's one of the mindsets. The very first mastery mindset is I take great care of myself because the world needs me at my best. And what the heck does that mean? Well, I know in your, because you're, you're very health conscious like I am, how many people do you know that are really smart, good people that don't see the connection to their level of health and their level of happiness and success? They're directly related, okay? And so, what, what, with this mindset, what mm-hmm. I try to get across to people is, hey, you owe it to the world. You owe it to your family to be at your best. Don't think, oh, I don't have time to go to the gym because I've got uh, you know, to take care of this work project. Well, no. The most important thing you can do for your job, for your career, the people you work with, is, is be in the right mindset, both mind-body. And, and so once somebody adopts that mindset, everything changes for them, right? Because it, it, there's this great quote goes like this. To those who have the health have a thousand goals, those who don't have their health have but one. And, you know, when you're sick, injured, stressed, 
the only thing you can think about is getting past that. But when you're feeling good about things, you're healthy, you're fit, your mind is clear, man, you are, you know, you're, you're, that's when you be, it can be of the most value to the world. So that would be an example of, uh, you know, kind of one of the things that we try to stress in our coaching. You talk about a lot of rules when, when you're, you're helping people. And this comes from all of your training. You have a lot of different set of rules that you guide people through. Would you share a few of those? I know you just shared one. Um, would you share some more? Absolutely. And by the way, who knows if these are true or not? <laughs> but when you adopt them, them to be true, it makes a difference, right? And so the next one, the second one that I have is, is that I can always do more than I think I can. Mm-hmm. I can mm-hmm. always do more than I think I can. And how many times in my life, how many times in your life have you doubted you're going to be successful with something only to be like to accomplish it here let me give you a really basic one so uh by my house there's a park and if i start if i jump go outside of my front door and i run around the park it's a 5k and it's this gorgeous park you know or by the river and it's around a golf course and there's there's deer and there's turkey and coyote it's just gorgeous and anyway so a while back i'm running around the park and man i'm just not feeling it this day i got a side ache i'm super tired i didn't sleep the night before and I'm thinking about walking and I'm probably about a mile and a half into this, you know, this about halfway through this or something. And it's not the end of the world if I was going to walk, right? Of course, it's not that big of a deal, but I'm thinking, should I walk? And I go, no, I'll run a little further. Bob, you're tired. And all of a sudden, there's a guy on the trail. I'm about to merge with another trail. And there's a guy running. And now I have to make up the decision. All right. Am I going to slow down and let him get in front of me or am I going to speed up and get and be in front of him? I got to decide now because at the pace I'm going, we're going to meet at the exact same moment. So, of course, what does my fragile male ego do? What do I do? I speed up, right? <laughs> and and I'm in front of him. I'm in front of him, and now I realize, whoa, this guy's moving fast. Am I now? I got to think, am I going to let him pass me? And I'm thinking, no, I'm not. I'm going to. So what do I do? I step up. Competitive. You're very competitive. <laughs> and next thing you know, I've got this pace faster than faster than that pace I've ever had in, in, in a long time. And one minute before, I I didn't know if I could even run anymore. I was thinking about running. And this would be a basic example of. We can always do more than we think we can. So that would be another rule that I think is really important. Uh, and then the next one is this challenge will make me stronger. And this is such a basic one, but what it has to do with, like, let's think of 2020, a challenging year for a lot of people, I no doubt. But you know what? We're going to be stronger because of it. You know, it's challenging to build us or break us. And so sometimes just being in the middle of a struggle, mm-hmm. being in the middle of a struggle and realizing, oh, you know what? I don't like this, but I'm going to get through this. And I'm going to be better off for it. Sometimes that's enough to allow you to objectify the situation and not personalize it as much and, and to kind of take some of the emotion out so you can mm-hmm. navigate yourself through that Definitely. situation in a little more positive way. I, I have a bunch of them. I could go on and on. Let me, yes, please. Let me give you one more. Most of them are, have to do with your personally, but there's other ones that have to do with how you interact with others. And one of those uh, the mindset is I make others feel important when I'm in their presence. And what that means is and you you know you've been around mm-hmm. somebody when you see them they don't make you you know you don't feel appreciated and you've been around somebody else where wow they really make they went out of their way to make you feel good about yourself right I do and, I and do. that's one of those things where uh, it, it's such a little thing but it makes a big difference but let me share a story with you years ago Chuck Norris was promoting his movie a movie called Sidekicks I don't know if you remember that movie it was in the, like the early nineties he did a, a twenty one city tour to promote this movie over twenty two days so he had like one day off in the middle. And the very last day, he came to Sacramento. And because I had had a relationship, uh, you know, I kind of knew him. I'd met him a few times. And, mm-hmm. and so his agent 
uh, had reached out and said, hey, man, do you think you can run some security, you and some of your black folks, for Mr. Norris when he comes in town to do that movie? And, of course, it took me a half a second to say absolutely, right? So here, here's what happened that evening. It was really remarkable. So uh, first and foremost is that I asked his agent, hey, is there any chance Mr. Norris can come by our school in the afternoon to meet some students? And he said, sure, but we don't have much time. We can be there for a few minutes. And so I thought I'd only have a few students. Well, I ended up like there was a line of like 500 members, and it was wrapping around the building. And my wife was in – so he didn't have time to sign autographs or take pictures. He just shook hands. My wife was in that line. She was person number 142 or something. And she went through and said, hi, my name is Angelina. I'm Dave's wife. And, you know, he shook all these hands, hopped in a limo with him. I get to ride in a limo with Chuck Norris, and we've got this – my brother's driving the chase vehicle with a bunch of our black belts. They're going to do security at all mm. the – all the movie theaters we're going to go to. And, and Chuck Norris looks over at me and says, so Dave, can your wife Angelina join us? He remembered her friggin' name. It was unbelievable. And then I watched him for five hours sign autographs and interact and make every person feel appreciated that, that he met. And then here's the kicker. At the end of the evening, we're at the last theater. Remember, he'd been on the road for 22 days. He'd sign a lot of autographs, talk to a lot of people. So the very last theater, I, I'm saying goodbye to him. And, uh, he's getting in the he's in the limo. He rolls down the window, and says goodbye to me, and I thank him and everything. And he thanks me. And then then they start to take off, and I see the brake lights go on, and the reverse lights go. And he drives past me. They 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 go to where my guys are helping put away tables from the theater, helping out a little bit. Mm. And he rolls down the window, he pulls his head out the window, and by name there was another guy named Dave. He goes, Hey Tim, Hey Mark, Hey Dave, Hey Ken, Hey Bob. Thanks for helping out. That was really fun. And he drives off. He remembered all their names as well. And I share that with you because those guys would go to battle for him 30 years later because of how he made them feel that moment. And so it's a real simple one that, that it, I don't always do it by any, by any means, but it's something that I mindfully try when I'm around somebody else to make them feel appreciated and important. And, uh, and, and why? Because it's the right thing to do, but also it will serve you in so many ways. You know, from a business standpoint, et cetera, you know, people will go to battle for friends. Without a doubt. And just the fact that he took out the time, or even you take out the time to recognize someone at any level, no matter if they're a beginner, advanced, it doesn't matter, but to recognize them and give them the time of day. I think that's huge. Yeah. And that, that does speak volumes for the person doing it. Yeah. You know, and, and it's one of those things that you, you, it's not, necessarily natural for me, but I'm getting better at it over the years. So, you know, that's everything from just letting someone in in traffic to, you know, how you interact with someone at the newsstand when you're buying some gum at the airport. You know what I'm saying? It's like all those little experiences that add up, that it's, it's just a really good habit to get into. Mm-hmm. So you talk about experience in martial arts and everything. You have accomplished so much in the martial arts world for yourself. Yes, sir, I do. Because you've done it for yourself, you've been able to help so many people. You have 10 black belts. Most people can't even get to a black belt and you have 10. And how did that come about and why keep pursuing them? Yeah, you know, I never I never set out like I want to have 10 black belts. And, and, you know, it's just that fortunately I started training in the early 70s, the school I was at. And you've been around long enough to remember that that when you met someone somewhere and they, you found out they're a martial artist, the first thing in the old days we, we would do is to ask what style they were to decide if we're going to be their friend or not. Is that the dumbest thing ever, right? But that's how people mm. used to think. And some people still do. Mm-hmm. Well, my instructor is a gentleman named Bruce Jutnick, and he was very open-minded. So even back in the 70s, we were cross-training. It was an American Temple school, but we had a coding kan jiu-jitsu class a couple times a week. We were started Filipino weaponry in the mid-70s. And, and so 
it just I just kind of assume that's what you did. And and probably the biggest reason why I have multi black belts is because I've got a bad case of martial arts ADHD. You know, I, I like it all. <laughs> and, and and I share that with you because I don't know that having more black belts is a good thing. What it means is that I have maybe a broad uh, area of knowledge, but not necessarily as deep. Like if you, if you really wanted to become good at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like I've been doing Jiu-Jitsu since the early 90s and I'm a black belt and I still train. But if you want to be super good at jujitsu, you're probably not going to go to me because I'm the kind of the generalist, if that makes sense. You're going to go to some guy that that's all they've done their whole life, right? But it serves me well. Mm-hmm. Uh, always enjoy training, and next thing you know, you realize, oh, if I do a work a little harder, another eight months, I'm going to be able to test for my black belt. Oh, let me do it, you know. And that's just kind of, and and over time, that's what what's been the result. But it's, I think it's kind of like language. Now, I have a hard enough time even with English, let alone other languages, but. You know, once you have done a couple, then you the next ones come a little easier. And that's kind of like martial arts. There's only so many ways the elbow bends. For example, I have a black belt in two different styles of Filipino weaponry. They're very similar. They're two separate styles, but being good, being proficient at one helps me with the other, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And same with, uh, you know, same with the various striking arts as well. So a lot of them are, are, are very related. Dave, how did you become so involved with so many different types of organizations? Um, I think just, you know, like pursuing knowledge, you know, just going to seminars, you meet someone you enjoy, you think, I want to train with that guy. Uh, you, you know, you just, you start the process. And, and like I said, over time, I have, I have never been afraid to be a white belt. And, I, you know, it's interesting when I was just opened up a school, I had this guy, it turns out later on to find out the guy was a total phony, but he came in and he, and he was theoretically a seventh degree black belt and this was back in like 1978 or nine and there was no there was no seventh degree black belt so that was something and i was a young impressionable kid and i didn't know better and so i believed him you know like wow really wow and i'll never forget what he said he told me he goes dave here's the key man is that never practice in front of your students ever because what they think you can do will always be way more than you can really do and all you really have to do is mm-hmm. get one move down really well, and that's it. They'll believe you. And I remember looking like, man, that can't be right. You know, that can't be accurate. And this was at a point to where I was a pretty new black belt. And, mm. I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but there's been plenty of times where I, want, I was wondering if I was worthy of it or not. And then I had a decision to make. Do I back off because I don't know if I'm worthy or do I step into the challenge? And, and fortunately, that's the way that I, I went. And then, you know, you'd meet someone else. You think, oh, wow, that looks cool. And, you know, you work, start training. So. I've never been afraid to look foolish. I've never been afraid to be a white belt. And, and so that's, that's made the process earlier, e- easier than, than, you know, trying to be the person that has all the answers, because I certainly don't. And what's interesting is the more you learn about martial arts, and you know this, because you've been trained your whole life as well, the more you realize you don't know anything. There's just always more to learn. Without a doubt. I, I, still, I still think I know nothing. And, you know, like yourself, I've been training forever. I've been training 45 years. I feel like I know nothing. I feel like I'm a white belt every day. I have to challenge myself. And that's why I train seven days a week. I don't know anything else. If there was eight days, I'd train eight. All right. I like it. I like it. Yes, sir. <laughs> Hopefully smarter. Hopefully different. You know, it's like uh, one thing is to age and do martial arts. You have to think differently. You know, you, you can't be, you can't worry about how high you're kicking or, you know, you got to, uh, I call it the 80% rule. And for me, what the 80% rule means in my training I, I never go beyond 80% of what's in my tank because anytime I've been injured, it, 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 in almost without fail, it's when I was fatigued and I thought, I'll do one more round, right? And that's not just martial arts, that's weight training. Oh, I'm really tired. Let me just see if I can get my, 
max deadlift. Well, not a good time to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I, I've learned uh, to, to uh, be way more conservative in my training, but that's minimized the injuries so you can keep the learning mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. going. With, with your coaching, are you only coaching in martial arts businesses or are you coaching in corporations and all types of businesses? So the majority of my, my time is spent, you know, we've got a chain of martial arts schools in, in the greater Sacramento area. And then we coach through Kovar Systems. We coach uh, martial arts schools. And I do speaking engagements to non-martial arts business, right? I, I will do speaking engagements to, to but, but as far as actual coaching and clients, you know, I stick to, to the martial arts world. That's really where I focus. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and you're, you're a big drawer. Every time that you've had, and you call it instructor college, they're sold out. Every single time they're sold out. Yeah, we've done really well with that through the years. Well, I wonder why, Mr. Character. <laughs> you're so energetic. You're so amusing. And not only that, you make everybody feel amazing. And, and you, you, you know, you say you're working on it. Let me tell you, you have that secret because at any event that I've been at and I see how you deal with people, when you say who wants to volunteer, I mean, the whole room throws their hands up. And meanwhile, you're going to smash them a little bit and they're happy, you know, <laughs> so it's it's kind of it's really cool to see for an instructor, your instructor colleges are one that they must not only participate in, got it, but sometimes like I've done, I've participated in it. And sometimes you don't might not see me. I'm on the side because I'm not watching anything but what you're doing. I got Well, thank you. Because you are a master instructor. So absolutely. I learn from all angles. I recommend for anybody who's either been to your instructor college or who's never been to it, not to just go to one, but go to many and see all the different aspects that you're actually bringing to people. Not only are you instructing and you're giving good, good instruction on martial arts, but it's the way you handle people and the way you make them feel. Not only handling them physically, but the importance you give to every single person who's in front of you and the whole room, which takes a lot of talent. So you are a very talented martial artist, advisor, mentor. So it's an honor to just talk to you. Oh, I appreciate that. I really do. I, I always appreciated the, our time together and our workouts at the Super Shows and look forward to another one sometime going forward. Right. So talking about that, and, and you did so many shows all over pre-COVID. How many days of the year were you on the road? Normally. And how did that impact, how did that impact your family? Yeah, in the, probably the last decade, I've probably been on the road 80 to 100 days a year. For, for the last decade, a little less before that. And, mm. and I've got a very patient, understanding wife. She doesn't necessarily enjoy it, but she understands. And, and when my kids are younger, now they're, they're out of the house now, right? They're, they're in their mid-20s. But when they were younger, they did road trips with me. So my kids have been able to travel all over the world with me. Both of them been to you know, Spain and Germany and the UK and Australia. And my son went to uh, Nepal with me for a trip. So, and all over the United States. So they, you know, that was one of the ways that I de- dealt with that is every year they went on a, both of them went on like a two week trip with me. Mm, right. Cool. And, and so that, that was uh, one way we dealt with that. And uh, this year, interesting, uh, clearly 2020, I didn't travel as much, you know, I still a, a few trips, but a lot of activity online. I did a lot of uh, instructor colleges, instructor boot camps on zoom and, 
I did you know several seminars that way, and and it's surprising how effective those can be. And uh, and so I think going forward there'll be a combination of the two. You know, there's a, I don't know that going forward I'm going to be on the road as much. It, it's kind of like the instructor colleges have been great. I'll continue to do them, but it's time for other stuff. There's a bunch of the instruct the quality of instruction is so much better now than it was a decade ago, and there's so many people do, doing really good work out there. I don't know that they're as necessary as they were when we when I when I first started doing them. And so I'll continue to do them, mm-hmm. not to the same level as, as maybe we've done it for the last 10, 15 years. Right. I mean, you're impacting people in, in all different ways. You have a podcast as well. Yes, sir. And it's called the Satori Lifestyle Podcast. How did how did you what made you start that particular podcast? So we just kind of I, I wanted to see if I could impact you know, the martial arts community and just people in general on a little different level. My podcast is about kind of, it's not martial arts necessarily, although we do it, you know, it, there is that part of it. It's about health, fitness, mindset, et cetera. And, and uh, yeah, so I started, I guess, a couple of years ago and, and I, I put out only a couple podcasts a month. That, that seems to be about the right level for me. You know, some people do it daily and, and that seems to be about where I kind of settle in. And, and you know, we've got some good momentum with it. And, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a good stretch. It's a good challenge. I definitely enjoyed them. So thank you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, in, in your podcast, a lot of time you talk about your dad and the influence he's had on you. Can you share a little bit with us here? Yeah, my father's still alive. He's 98 years old. And he's a really interesting guy. God bless him. He, uh, he was a child of the Depression, and, and what that means is basically right in the 1930s, right? But it was his dad was laid off from work, and, and just to put it in perspective, people forget that back then there was no unemployment, there was no welfare, right? If you didn't have a job, you just didn't have a job, right? You know, it was, uh, and so they, my, my grandmother worked part-time cleaning houses, and for, so for three years, they survived on cabbage soup. Literally. Mm. And and then after that, he enlisted in World War II, you know, in the war. In World War II, he was a bombardier navigator, and he, he mm. flew 11 missions. He was shot down on his 11th mission, and he uh, ended up being in a prisoner of war, Nazi prisoner of war camp for nine months. He did a couple death marches. Uh, just really an amazing um, experience that he had. He uh, came back, but here's why I share that with you, because he ended up being... How do I say this? He ended up coming back with a, a sense of appreciation. You know, things like that can either make you bitter or they can make you better. And in this case, he came back with like, man, just really appreciating life. Mm-hmm. So he's just been a great role model, you know, all these years. He's a guy that, that's always had a great attitude. And to this day, you know, to this day, he's mentally he's not as sharp as he once was, but he's still just this kind, uh, caring person. And, and, you know, that's been really an amazing guy to have as a role model. And I mean, I recall some of the, from your podcast, because I listened to it, some some of the stories of where he would just make you think, like when you, yeah. I remember the one you talked about when you're like, I can pass as a younger child, so you don't have to pay as much. And he gave you a lesson right there. Yeah, that was beautiful. Right. I loved it. <laughs> would you mind sharing that on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. He read a movie. Yeah, 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 absolutely. We, we, we were, I was probably, I don't know, 14 years old, but I was very small for my age. And we're in line for to buy a movie ticket. And I go to my dad. I go, Dad, if you just say I'm 12, uh, you know, you can save a buck. You know, it'll be cheaper. And he looks at me and he says, my honesty is worth more than a dollar I'm going to pay on life for, you know, for the lie that, that I'm going to save for lying about your age. And it was just like, it just, just hit me between the eyes. You know what I'm saying? And that's like, uh, uh, yeah, so he's just always had this 
I think the thing that sums up, you know, we would get together and he was a minister for 50 years too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's, he's a you know, very you know, thoughtful guy and we would sit around, you know, anytime a family gathering would get together, we'd hold hands and he'd look around and he'd say, look around, these are the good old days, right? And uh, what, if I was to sum that up into one word, it's my favorite word in the English language and the word is favor. If you think about savor, what I love about that word is that it brings you to, to the present moment with a sense of appreciation. You know, savor a time with a friend, savor a good meal, savor a sunset. And that's kind of what he's referring to. And so often we, we get caught up in what, you know, our, our past or what's going to happen in the future that we forget to kind of be in the moment. And that's what Satori to us means, in the moment at your best, right? Can you be present in what you're doing with a sense of appreciation? And, and if that's where you can spend a big chunk of your life, life is going to be good, regardless of where you're at. I, I mean, I know your dad had a big impact on you, and obviously your mom also. Do you currently now have mentors? Oh, of course. You know, I, I mean, some some are people that, that, like I would, you know, I know personally and others that I know through books or podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, you know, my, my business partner, Dave Chamberlain, has been a great mentor. He's uh, We have this great relationship. You know, we're very much yin-yang. We're really good for each other. But he's been just uh, a great mentor as far as just kind of being methodical and calm and thoughtful and full of integrity. That would be like, a, you know, of course, Nick Kokinos, who founded the EFC, Educational Funding Company, which was a, kind of the first big consulting company in the, United, in the United States for martial artists back in the 90s, actually founded in the 80s. You know, he was a, a big time uh, mentor for me. And Grandmaster June Ree, who passed a few years ago, was a big time mentor for me. And Bernie Reyes Sr. has been a mentor. And of course, Tony Robbins is, uh, he wouldn't remember me, although at one point I kind of worked as kind of a volunteer a lot of it, but he, you know, he's been very impactful for me. Uh, you know, and there's, there's so many, like, uh, you know, there, there's so much great knowledge out there and there's so many mm-hmm. top people that are, they're giving their best stuff out there. I, I think that there was a time when before, uh, you know, if you go back a few hundred years and if you're illiterate, where were you going to, there was hard to get information out there, but now everybody's got their best stuff available to you. It's just, just to be looking for it. So there's really no excuse for, for us not to find a way to improve. Mm, without a doubt. It's, it's so important that we do seek knowledge on a, not to me, regularly is not enough. I need to look for knowledge on a daily basis. I mean, I'm constantly searching things and looking things up. And the fact that I can do it on my phone is just super amazing. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Yep. It is, right? What would you say, because you you do have several schools. How many schools are you running? So my company owns six locations. We had eight prior to COVID, and we shut down a couple, Mm. uh, which is fine. You know, it is what it is. And then then I have uh, like five licensed schools, and I coach a couple hundred. What is the biggest takeaway that you can say in running these schools has given you as a mentor, as a coach? What what is the biggest takeaway uh, that I've learned? From this for you yes running these these businesses you know it, it has to do with the importance of having it, it, it having your why really clear in other words if you don't know why you're doing something you're going to lack the motivation to do the hard work that it takes to get it done and there's a reason why not everybody has their own business it's freaking hard to do you know what i'm saying it's you know, like you know everything rests on your shoulders and and so it starts by mm-hmm. making sure that your vision is really clear like you know for example My professional mission statement is to globally empower people of all ages to become more confident uh, through high-quality martial arts instruction, which consists of training in self-defense, health, fitness, and life skills. Now, that's my professional mission statement. And what that is is that anything I'm doing, I can kind of compare to that. 
And if it's, if it doesn't line up with that, then I'm not going to do it. Just being really clear with that helps. And then one of the things that I do is that, you know, you've had, how many times have you had a student that say, man, you, your, your program has saved my life. Have you ever heard that before? Or I'm a better person because it, you've heard that dozens of times. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely. what we, oh, yeah. but here's what we forget to do. Sometimes we forget to really hear them. Like you really soak that in because that's powerful. You know, someone gives you a compliment, you know, I just got to tell you, my son was getting in all kinds of trouble. He's starting your program and now he's getting straight A's and he's getting along better with his sister. Oh, thank you so much. To actually take a second and hear what the input, really internalize that. Because what that does, that makes you go, wow, this is a lot more than kicking and punching. Ah, yeah, wow, I'm so glad I do this. And it keeps that, that passion for, for, for me, it makes it a lot stronger. And, and so I, I try, I, I consciously focus on remembering the why, why we're doing this, and then reinforcing it through things that happen. Like, you know, I, like if someone sends a letter, now it's, it's, I'm not really doing the teaching now, my team is, right? But, but I encourage if someone gets that letter that says, you know, I just want to let you know, mm-hmm. you know, what a big difference, and maybe it's, it's, it's addressed towards one of my instructors, I want to see that letter, because that's how I can live vicariously through the actions of my team. And that, that's something that just keeps, uh, you know, keeps the enthusiasm high for me. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so important. Yep. Um, you know, getting the feedback. I think for a lot of leaders, they don't, they don't see the feedback as, as important as you're, you're telling us that we should see it. Feedback is critical. And I'm always, whenever I, I, I spoke to some parents yesterday and, and I was asking them questions that they never even thought about for their child. And I said, well, Absolutely. tell me how I can help your child better. Let's do this together. So a lot of time getting that feedback is what allows us to help people. And it could be positive feedback or it could be negative feedback. And, and it's that important thing. Sure. Sometimes you hear, yeah, sometimes you hear stuff that you didn't really want to hear, but you needed to hear. Absolutely. You got to be open and receptive to that. Dave, any regrets? Uh, you know, is there, there's things that I wouldn't do again if I had the chance, right? Mm. You know, everything you do brought you to where you are today. And if you did things differently, you wouldn't be where you are today, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of problems, things that I wouldn't repeat again. But as far as regrets, I really, I, I really can't. Mm. I, I really, nothing comes to mind. Yeah, Because everything you've done is, like you said, it's, it's who you are because of it. Yep. If you said, oh, if I only wouldn't have done X, Y, or Z, then guess what? You'd be in a different place right now. You know, your, your, your life would have taken a different turn. Mm. And, and so that, that's, I don't spend a lot of time there because it's really a waste of time. I had a friend of mine that was a couple months back that was going, he was saying it had to do with competition back in the early 80s. And, and there was this team that was starting to get formed and we were going to go. It was when I was competing a lot in, in karate tournaments, right? And I was going to get invited to this team that was being formed that was going to go in the fight in the Philippines. And, 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 and it never it never came to fruition. And I remember saying, oh, man, Dave, that would have been so cool. Can you imagine? And, you know, what it was is, is that it was going to be some really wealthy guy that was going to fund this worldwide tour that never came. Uh, it never. I don't even know if it was legit at the end. But mm. and, and it's like, man, I'm not going to waste my time thinking about it because it, it's, it's a waste of time. You know, in other words. Why would I take myself there? You know, it, it only brings me out of, it's not going to, how's the phrase go? You, there's two ways to become wealthy. One is that you can acquire all you desire, and the other is you can desire all you have. And somehow going back and regretting stuff is trying to acquire something that you're never going to get. And it's just not worth it. You know what I'm saying? Like instead, you know, you're appreciative of where you are at this moment, knowing that all your experiences got you here. 
Including your failures. Yes, absolutely. Especially your failures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you need to learn from them. Absolutely, man. In all your travels, for me, being able to laugh on a daily basis is, is so important because we sometimes, you know, even though we may be in a serious situation, we have to look at every little detail and sometimes just laugh it off and, and just enjoy the moment. Can you share any of your funny stories? I'm sure you have a thousand of them because you've traveled the world. Any, any you can share with us? Oh, man. You know, like, uh, uh, yeah, plenty, plenty of amusing airports, you know. Uh, I get, You know, one that jumps out at me, this is a, it had to do with a trip my daughter and I spent. And she would have been about 10 years ago. We spent a couple of weeks in, in Australia doing a tour of, with a bunch of uh, martial arts, doing a bunch of martial arts seminars. And, and I had one guy that was sponsoring the whole trip and arranged for all our day and whatnot. And I remember there was a couple of days where, of course, I didn't have a cell phone. I was in a, a foreign country and didn't, for whatever reason, uh, and I got dropped off in this community. It was pitch dark. It was like 1130 at night. And my, and my daughter, we've got two big suitcases. And, and uh, we're, it's kind of like a timeshare, you know, condo type thing. And, and by the time, long story short, is, is that it took us forever to find the key. It wasn't where it was supposed to be. By this time, the, the car had taken off. And so we're basically in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and, and by the way, it's really dark. And it seems like a really rough area. It's a downtown area. It seems kind of real cagey. And I'm, I'm concerned not as much for myself, but my young daughter being with me. And we finally find our room and we go inside. And it doesn't have a bathroom. You know, I'd never been to a room that, you know, it was like it was a community went down the hall. It was his own building. And, and it was just like a really stressful night. And we wake up the next morning and I look out in the backyard and it's the most gorgeous place. And we're right across from the the, the prime minister's house. It's mm. a nice, it's called Curability, I think it's called, in, in, in uh, in Sydney, Australia, it's one of the, like the nicest community in the country. But how the perception was, it was a dark and dingy place. It turned out anyway. We, I just didn't find the door to the restroom. You know, it was it was around anyway. It was it was. And then the next day, I'm we're in uh, we're in in Surfer's Paradise. Oh jeez, which is Queensland. It's like a, it looks. It's like Miami, Fort Lauderdale. That's what it looks like. It's just this gorgeous, you know, surfing community. And we get there late at night, and my daughter's not feeling good, and the keys are the place we're supposed to stay. It doesn't work right, so I end up mm-hmm. going up, uh, um, and we're on like thirty seventh floor. So I take these two big roller boards. We walk up the stairs, right, because we can't get the elevator key. Doesn't work right. And so I, you know, and so now it's you know one thirty at night. Well, in Australia, they don't. The doors are locked, so you can't get mm. back <laughs> once you're, uh, you know, you can't go to the next floor. So I go all the way up with these two. Anyway, we had to hike back down and find the key. And it was, it was a lot of, anyway, that just comes with the territory of travel. Mm. And one of the things that, that you said is that you were frustrated. You were in a, in a place that, and you thought it was like a really bad place. And it turned out to be a great yes. place. Yes. So sometimes, you know, in, in life, we don't know what to expect. But we should go in with open mind. Absolutely. How many times have you, in the eleventh hour, thought this is terrible? Won't you find out that you know whatever happened benefited you dramatically? You know, in the moment, it's hard to see that. But that's why it's all about taking a breath and trying to be calm under pressure. You know, one of our mindsets is I remain calm even in challenging situations. You know, it's like it's like trying to keep a clear head under 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 mm-hmm. pressure is a very powerful thing. You know, and and how do you learn that? You learn that through little things. You learn that when you're stuck at the stoplight and you're late and you're stressed out. That's when you practice being calm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn that when you're at the grocery store and the line is long and you're in a hurry to get out of there. That's when you, you know, or your puppy, uh, you know, 
went through the garbage can, there's trash all over your house, right? Those little things like that, that's your, that's your chance to practice being calm under pressure, you know, because if you can't do it in little things, you can't do it in big things. And that's why, you know, all those little everyday adversity, that's a chance to develop mental toughness. That's a chance to develop your ability to be calm under pressure. And that's how I try to look at that stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't always do it, but that's, that's what I try to do. Don't sweat the small stuff. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. Dave, thank you so much. Today has been really wonderful. I really appreciate your time. I know you're so busy. And I mean, you're all over social media. You're always helping someone. Big applause to you on that. And, and my hat's off to you. Well, I thank you, man. I appreciate it. I think that what you have done for the martial arts world, you're a visionary. And, and you have brought big changes to our industry. What would you like to see still to continue to happen with this industry? Well, thank you for thinking so. I don't, I, you know, I, I'm not going to argue, you know, I mean, but it, you know, it feels funny when you say that, but, you know, I'm honored to think that, that, that that's the perception. And, and you know, I, to me, uh, going forward is, is not to lose sight of our roots. And what I mean by that is, is that, you know, I don't mean you have to do things, you know, being, having tradition, tradition is great, but being stuck in the past isn't, Right. And that is, is as we go forward to, to, to embrace future, but, but also to not forget, you know, what's more our, at the core of our program is, is, is it's about you know, making sure that we use martial arts as a vehicle to certainly teach people self-defense and confidence, but just really to, to, to teach them to be able to stand tall and overcome adversity and being strong enough to help others. You know, that, as long as we, we lead with that, then business will be good for us. Once we switch, if we forget that and we, Think in terms of the dollar first. You know, how can I get more money out of my students? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how can I eat? You know, there's nothing wrong with having your students pay top dollar, but you sure as heck better be be giving them t- twice the value you're charging for, right? So how can we, if we focus on that, we continue to focus on bringing value, then our industry will, will, will thrive in years to come. Absolutely, and I totally agree with that. Yes, sir. It's about the value we bring and in, in over-delivering on, on what we promise and it, it's it's good to see when you over deliver and, and the people are like, wow, sure. you, absolutely, you yeah. Don't worry about it, you know. So that that's that's critical, especially to grow in in a business that a lot of people still have a, a negative perception on. Absolutely. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, my friend. Yes, it has. And uh, you know, sorry to get to see you at the Super Show this year, and hopefully our paths will cross sometime in 2021. Yes, yes. So they missed the Kovar. If somebody wanted to reach you, have you impart their knowledge on them or, or follow you on social media or whatnot, how would they reach you? So um, I, so first off, my, my email address is dave.kobar at kobars.com. And you can reach out to, also, if you want to know anything about it, if you're a martial arts school owner, you can go to kobarsystems.com to find out what we, we offer. And on Instagram, it's Hanchi Dave Kovar, and on Facebook, Dave Kovar—you know, Dave Kovar—is my name on there. And uh, look forward to helping people out. You're such a giving man. Thank you so much for giving your time today and sharing your story and your knowledge with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Mine too. <laughs> All right, take care, man. Take it easy. Look forward to seeing you soon. Bye bye. You got it. Thanks for listening to the Coaching Call podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.